Welcome back to 1A, the On Again, Off Again podcast, where we address counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Joining me again this episode, just like last one, is our pastoral intern to biblical counseling, Josh Adair. Josh, thanks for being with me. Good to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. You and I have been talking, talking about some of the counseling needs inside the congregation, especially in the midst of this ongoing pandemic. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones that we're seeing more and more is that of depression. And so you had some questions around depression, thought it would be good to be able to ask those kind of on the air here and get our thoughts and allow our congregants to be able to hear some of these answers might help them in the midst of a ongoing, very difficult season. So sure, Josh, why don't you start answer, uh, ask me some of those questions that you have? Sure. I don't know if I can answer them. That's why I'm asking them. (laughs) But yeah, so Josh, I thought it would be really helpful for our congregation. When it comes to the idea of depression, it'd be helpful for us to get an understanding of what our terms are. You know, some people consider sadness depression. Some people consider grief an aspect of depression. But but from your perspective, pastorally and from a counseling perspective, what goes into our definition when we talk about depression? Yeah, that's a great question. So really, there are two really levels here. One level is what I would call clinical or major depression, an an actual depression where we need to be very diligent about seeking treatment that you might not get by happenstance, that it it, it wouldn't avail itself just by uh, being in life. And then there's general depression where you have a general depression over something that has happened or a particular season of life. Hmm. Uh, And depression as a whole is a pervasive sad that affects our areas of functioning in life. So it might be something like your appetite is consistently affected by the amount of sad that you're feeling. In fact, Psalm 42 and 43, which go together, form kind of a couplet in the Psalms, mm-hmm. have that common refrain, oh my soul, why are you cast down within me? It's actually a picture of somebody whose soul is depressed and having a conversation mm. with their depressed soul, trying to help it to, to kind of launch it, get it to that next step and get it out of depression. And so one of the things in 42.3 says, my tears have been my food day and night. So the only thing that this person has been eating is tears. And so that's the sort of pervasive sad that lasts for a while that affects something like appetite. And so the four pieces that I often tell people are eat, sleep, work, and play. Mm-hmm. Those are your four domains that you're looking at is whether or not I've lost my appetite because I'm so sad or I'm eating all the time because I'm so sad and I'm trying to medicate my sad with food. Eat sleep. So whether or not you're sleeping all the time, don't want to get out of bed, just want to go back to sleep. Or if you're avoiding sleep and can't sleep at all because your mind is just constantly focusing on what that negative is. Sure. Work, can't work at all, can't concentrate, am unable to get tasks done that I used to be able to get done with some efficiency. And now it seems like it's taking me two, three, four times as long to get those things done. A loss of time in that. Oftentimes people will be like, I just, all of a sudden I went to work and then it was the end of the day and I don't know where I was in the middle of it. Nothing got done. Or throwing yourself into work, always working, finding tasks because you don't want to have to face whatever it is that you're afraid of or that's causing sad. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. play. And that is that either, again, you're throwing yourself into play all the time as a distraction or you find nothing at all enjoyable anymore. It's called anhedonia. You've heard of hedonism, always doing something 
pleasurable. Yeah. Anhedonia is the loss of all pleasurable. Nothing seems pleasurable to you. Even that which you used to really enjoy just seems meaningless now in mm. this season. So it's usually those four. And then you add a fifth, which is the most intense of all that, and that's pervasive hopelessness. Mm. And so if you have a sense of pervasive hopelessness, those would be the, the things that if you're there, if you're having at least two of those four and or hopelessness, Mm. and they last for two weeks or longer, then you're probably in a major clinical depressed phase. And again, that doesn't mean you have to necessarily go to a clinician as such. It just means it's time to start invoking resources into your life to help you get through this depression that you might not otherwise. Coming up with a plan, coming up with people, finding a way to get out of it. Otherwise, Everyone goes through periods where they feel depressed, sad, down, blue, low, and it can last a day, two days, even a week, just depending on what's going on. Mm. And that's not necessarily major depression. And it's still helpful to talk to people about and to get to God's word and to pray about it and to do all the things that we can talk about later that a major depressed person can do. But more than likely, that person's going to find their way out of it versus someone where if it's been two weeks or longer, you probably need help to get out. Mm. So let's unpack this a little bit. I really appreciate the distinctions that you're making between a major clinically depressed situation and something that might be more maybe circumstantially related. Yeah. Because I think when people consider depression, what they think of and perceive in my experience has been more so the first kind that you talk about that they're so afraid of. Yeah. And that might even keep them from addressing that issue. Yeah. Versus the second kind. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. People who end up with major depression, you know, they don't want to be there. Mm. And it's hard for them to get out. Mm -hmm. And so people can live in fear of depression, which is understandable, though I think we've given depression and anxiety and anger too much power, as if we are at the mercy of our affections and we're at the mercy of, you know, the world and what it does to us, when in truth, like, we're still responsible for what happens. And if we find ourselves depressed, if if something happens in our life and, you know, it's, it's not that we wanted it, but either because of this current pandemic or because we've lost something or whatever it is, we end up in a depression. Mm. There are things that we can do to get ourselves out of that depression with some efficiency and effectiveness. Um, And, Mm. and should those things fail because sometimes they fail and it's just pervasive depression for a while, we can still throw ourselves upon the Lord and find rest and peace there. Right. And so, No one would prescribe depression. You would never say, you know what you really need? You need depression right now. (laughs) At the same time, there's no reason necessarily to, to be afraid of it. That's, that's, that's incredibly hopeful. And I think that I I appreciate too, just that even the sort of like diagnostic features that you said, uh, review those again real quick with me, like any of your work, eat, sleep, play that's affected for more than two weeks. That's right. Two or more for more than two weeks. Or pervasive Mm -hmm. hopelessness. That last one is kind of a catch-all. Like, Mm -hmm. if you get pervasive hopelessness, you probably need to be talking to somebody uh, because Mm -hmm. the pervasive hopelessness is what can get you to self-harm. And you want to make sure that you're talking to someone and helping you get out of that before self-harm comes on the table and really begins to own your thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So, well, that brings up a next question. How do you begin to distinguish... And you've sort of been talking about this with some of your your two categories of a 
major clinically depressed versus something that is more circumstantial. Right. So what I would say four doors, and I really, I'm not the first person to talk about this and not even the first reformed person to talk about this. Sure. Probably Martin Lloyd-Jones, most famously in his Spiritual Depression Causes and Cures, talks about this a little bit, and he's just getting this from Richard Sibbs. Uh, Richard Sibbs, mm. probably one of the best works on depression that just happens to be, golly, I think close to 400 years old now is Richard Sibbs' The Soul's Conflict Within Itself, which is a treaty huh. of four or 500 pages just on Psalm 42, the verse, Oh, my soul, why are you cast down within me? It's just that one verse. And like the Puritans can do, they can make that into like 55 sermons. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's absolutely amazing. And so it's fantastic. The, the whole thing is fantastic. But both of them had categories for multiple entrances into what we would call depression now. Mm-hmm. And so those doors tend to be biological, psychological, social, and spiritual. Mm-hmm. By biological, what I mean is there is something going on in your body. There's some change that happens that leads to an actual depression, a depressive state of mood. Mm-hmm. The easiest way to see this is in postpartum depression where somebody who's never struggled with depression before won't struggle with depression after, at least not in a clinical way, but in a very intense way, even sometimes unto delusion and thoughts of harming Mm. themselves or the baby really Mm. deal with very intense depression for a short season right after giving birth. And so that is a biologically induced depression. It's not the only biologically induced depression. Sure. And there's, you know, various studies about when and what and which neurotransmitters and their functions and who knows, right? And I'm I'm not the person to answer that question, but it is true that biology can be the thing that leads you to depression. And that can even be something like sedentary lifestyle, something I know a lot about. Mm. Um, <laughs> closest to a gym I ever get is when I drive by one. Um, That's one of your favorite lines. It is. It's so true. My My new favorite line. My new favorite line is, I'm as athletic as the next guy, as long as the next guy just happens to be a three-toed tree sloth, right? And then I'm <laughs> just as athletic as that guy. <laughs> Nonetheless, okay. so it can Sed- be... Sedentary life. Sedentary, sedentary life. life. <laughs> the biology of a sedentary life can also cause depression. So there, there can be biological factors that get you depressed. Okay. Then there can be psychological factors. Those psychological factors, and those tend to be the ones that we're worried about the most... Usually the Mm. loss of something that we really, really value. So it can be the loss Mm. of a job or the loss of a loved one or a sudden diagnosis that doesn't look very good. And so, you know, it causes us to feel out of control and hopeless and sad. Mm. So it can be a psychological cause that can lead to depression. That's what grief usually is, is psychologically Mm. induced uh, depressive state. At some point, you know, during the five stages of grief, Denial, bargaining, anger, depression, acceptance. Depression is the longest lasting one, uh, the one that mm. just precedes acceptance. It's interesting that you bring that up. I actually, there's a there's a resource that I've read in my in my studies for the Christian counseling, Spurgeon's Sorrows yeah. by Zach S. Wine. He has a really good quote from another author, Andrew Solomon, from a book called The Noonday Demon, an Atlas of Depression in it. He says that Solomon writes 
Grief is depression in proportion to our circumstance, while depression is grief out of proportion to our circumstance. Interesting. Would you agree with that? Not necessarily, no. Okay. Because if you've just lost, let, let's take an example. If you've just lost a baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And all of a sudden you are pervasively sad for months, you would be sure. depressed. And I yeah. think anyone under any circumstance that were was looking at any sort of depression, any sort of uh, definition of depression would say you fit depressed. Hmm. And to say all of a sudden that depression now is outside of grief, that there's some sort of proportionality where it, it mm-hmm. is disproportionate to what you should feel as grief. You are mm-hmm. now making a definition of depression that I don't think most people would understand So or know. So you mm-hmm. could say that, and, and I think he would come back and say, well, if you've lost a child, then of course your grief should be long-lasting. It shouldn't be less than two weeks, and it should be intense and all of that. And that's natural grief. And we would say, yes, that's natural grief that also meets the criteria for depression. Okay. So what he's doing is he's entering into an error that is the unnecessarily excluded middle. Hmm. That you have either grief or depression. There's no reason to set those two in distinction against each other. You can both be going through a natural grief cycle and be depressed. Yes. Okay. That is very helpful. So it's not, there are senses in which it can be circumstantially caused. Yeah. And it's not necessarily distinct from depression, but psychologically, um, the way it might manifest itself in, in the psychological aspect of our evaluation that you're going through is you just have a really sad set of circumstances yeah. that lasts for a long time. And that leads to actual depression. That's right. And to say yeah. that somehow the Christian, if they truly got all of the promises would never ever be sad never ever get depressed it's just a misunderstanding of scripture scripture is Hmm. full of people who genuinely get depressed and yet believe god and his promises elijah gets depressed to the point of wanting to take his own life so does job psalmist psalm 88 Hmm. psalm 42 43 there are multiple instances where people who genuinely love the lord genuinely understand his promises genuinely have faith genuinely have depression depression Mm. is not an evidence of some sort of sub-christian faith or Mm. substandard christian faith that is that is good news even for the the greeting and the depressed that's right so um that's gospel that's good news so so we've got the biological factors the psychological factors that's right and then uh, there's social social. that's right that's the third one Mm -hmm. and that is if all of a sudden you find yourself socially isolated so this happens sometimes when people move for Mm -hmm. jobs where they've taken a really good job but they land in a place where there's high stress you know it's a new job they don't know the job yet and what's expected of them and they don't know the town and how to get from all the different places they need to get to. And they've got no social support. They don't have any friends. They don't know anyone. Mm -hmm. And so they end up in some sort of depression because they've lost all their social support. So Mm -hmm. if you find yourself, no Christian is meant to be a Christian Island, right? One another is not only the namesake of this podcast, but also one of the most common Greek nouns Mm -hmm. in the new Testament. And so when you don't do one anothering 
it leads to a sort of depression of your soul and of just your mind and affections. So you can end up depressed because of social circumstances. And sometimes those social circumstances aren't necessarily your fault. If you're a college grad, you need to go find a job. And sometimes finding a job means moving to an area where you don't know anybody. Doesn't mean you have to just not know anyone and you have to go into depression. You, you, you need to have a plan for tr- how to try to get social resources, but, but sometimes it, it doesn't come together in quick enough to keep someone from ending, entering into that depressive phase. Hmm. Hmm. Well, good. And now that's, that's very helpful to, to think about the social aspects of it. Yeah. As far as spiritual though, what would you say are some spiritual aspects of evaluating depression? Yeah. And it's important to say that it's not biopsychosocial spiritual as if these are four equal aspects. They are for that's me, helpful. spiritual is the foundational. So if mm. you are not taking care of the spiritual pieces then you can not be depressed, but you're just setting yourself up to be depressed somewhere down the road. And vice versa, if you're depressed and all you're doing is treating the bio, psycho, social, you can get yourself out of depression. But again, you're just setting yourself up for depression later because you are a spirit with a body, right? You're both. Right, and you're never more one than the other, but you are a spirit, and therefore you need to have a healthy spirit in order to stay out of anxiety, depression, anger, all those negative emotional places. So by spiritual causes of depression, what we mean is, is that you are somehow starving your soul of what it needs in order that it might thrive. What are those things? Well, that's being under yeah. the word. Being other word preached in church, corporate worship with those in church, the sacraments, so the Lord's mm-hmm. Supper. It means prayer and praying regularly. It means singing with God's people. It means personally reading God's word devotionally and having that do its work on our lives. It means serving with one another as you serve the body well, not just be served by, but serve others inside the body. And so when you neglect those pieces and even just the coming together, just being in and around one another, when those are neglected. Now in this season, so, so I got to catch myself here. When you neglect those, those elements are being neglected in this season. <laughs> but it's it's not because most mm. of us are choosing. It's because yeah. we have to in order to be physically safe from this particular virus and pandemic. But but it then leads you to understand maybe why more people are on the precipice or cusp of depression than otherwise might be, and why people are struggling is because that most essential element is not thriving, and it's not even getting kind of the bare minimum it needs for its ability to survive. Instead, it's being starved. So that is helpful. As you were talking through that initially, I was going to ask, can you still be someone who's committed to those things and trying to engage in those things and still struggle with depression? But I think one of the things that you're pointing out is that with our current situation, like absolutely yes. It also makes me think of even theologians like William Cowper, who— The renowned hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. It was Cowper who wrote that, correct? Yes. Or is it Cooper? Is it Cooper or Cowper? I have heard it variously pronounced, and I believe it's Cowper, but I could be wrong, Mm -hmm. and we will get 15 emails telling us how it's... So if you know, feel free to email me. (laughs) That's Jay Adair. Jay Adair at (laughs) firstpresscolumbia.org. 
Is Adair your middle name? Uh, it's, it's odd. It's so odd. <laughs> it's so odd. <laughs> so you can still be committed to those things and still struggling spiritually in a, in a depressed state, which can affect those. So it can, it can have a sense in which we are actively contributing to our depression by not partaking of those things, even right. if we are trying to take care of the fact of our creaturely existence. Yeah. But if we're not considering our spiritual existence as well, it's something that it can be very negative and that it prolongs some of our spiritual turmoil from depression. But even then, there are instances and examples from history of great and godly Christian men who, um, I mean, Cowper, he, he at one point said he even he felt deserted by God. He struggled with that sense of desertion. Right. And it's amazing when you consider stories like his of um of, of even writing to him, God moves in a mysterious way. Right. One of the lines says, beneath a frowning providence, he hides his smiling face. And I think right. that's such a beautiful reality that even if we are in a place where we are in a spiritually broken sense of depression, right. he, he still is someone who loves his people regardless of the state we are. That's right. And, you know, again, it's the idea of the four doors, four, four entry points. So you mm. can be committed to inerrancy and worship and being around God's people and like and the regulative principle the, all yeah, the, those great be, Presbyterian things yes you can be the most reformed person since the Westminster divines and you can still find yourself depressed it's mm. not an indictment on your faith if you find yourself depressed if you find yourself depressed you have to be intentional about getting out of that depression rather than allowing mm. that depression to just own you. And that's really hard mm. for depressed people. Depressed people don't feel like they have inner, inner, any energy to do anything. And so now you're asking them to come up with a plan mm. and to go forth and do things. Ooh, yeah. and, you know, and it's like telling somebody who is starving and thirsty to go climb a mountain. You know, they're like, I cannot do that, mm. you know, which is mm. why they need people alongside of them so much to help them get through phases like that. Well, you know, Josh, I think our conversation has been super helpful in terms of evaluating and considering how depression might manifest itself in our lives. But I think one question, too, even as we've discussed some of the different ideas about depression, it seems like there's a real hesitancy in our world today to admit to this. It seems something that's just so secretive. And so what counsel and encouragement can you give to our listeners, to our congregation of just being honest and open about where they are in this season? Yeah, that's a great question. It is tough to let people in and s let them see how sad you are. It's a very vulnerable thing. It is maybe one of the more difficult pieces of doing church life together. It's easy when things seem to be going well or even, even stress. Like if I'm stressed, well, that's okay. That's an acceptable. We're all kind of stressed. Even anger. Mm -hmm. As long as it's not a violent sort of anger, if you're angry about something or your kids make you angry or whatever, like that seems to be okay. But the moment you come out and it's like, I'm depressed, because people almost live in fear of depression like it's a disease you can catch. Mm. And if somebody is depressed, all of a sudden I'm going to end up with the depression. You know, like that is not true. Feel free to step in and to help somebody who is depressed. But everybody, almost everybody, feels 
burdened by their own lives, and so therefore caring for someone else can be difficult. So, And everyone knows that, and so when they're at a place where they feel depressed, it's hard for them to disclose to others and to seek the help because they don't want to be a put-on. Mm. Well, I remember my friend Ligon saying that your suffering is about more than just you. God loves his people too much to make your suffering about just you. So maybe you're going through some sort of depressive phase in order that those around you might be able to learn how to deal with depression in a loving way, a loving Christian way. Mm. So don't deprive them of the ability to walk with you in that and The amazing resilience that people get when they walk through depression with people so they can see them begin to get depressed, get scared with them because the depression lasts for a long time, but then see them get out of the depression and see how the Lord was faithful to them in that depression. Mm. It is that last, that terminus phase that brings a sort of resiliency, and this is exactly what the Lord would tell us in Romans 5 Mm. that suffering brings about endurance, endurance brings about character, and character brings about hope. Mm. By not including people and letting them suffer with you, endure with you, get character with you, and therefore producing hope with you, you are robbing them of hope, Mm. right? So allow them to come alongside you. Now, that said, I would also say that this isn't something you necessarily have to broadcast to a Sunday school class and your closest 70 friends, <laughs> right? You can, right? If, if yeah. and, and there are people who feel comfortable doing that, and that's fine. They're, that's not a negative. But more than likely, what you need is one to two discreet friends and people who know how to deal with this sort of thing, who have dealt with it themselves or seen other people deal with it, who can be good burden bearers. And you need to let them into your life and let them into your life in a very intimate and vulnerable way and let them see you, preach the word to you, pray with you, weep with you, and then ultimately rejoice with you when you get out to the other side. And it's not, again, a sign of some sort of lack of faith if you're struggling with depression. Spurgeon struggled with depression. There was a stampede and people were killed inside of his church because someone yelled fire, and afterwards he was undone for a season. I think that season was close Mm -hmm. to a year, maybe more, and he was Mm -hmm. depressed. He was depressed the whole time. I think we all quote Spurgeon. Even non-Baptists quote Spurgeon. Everybody quote Quote Spurgeon, right? So if a man of great faith and eloquence like Spurgeon can deal with depression, then don't think of yourself or put on yourself that you're some sort of sub-Christian because you deal with depression. Yeah, speaking of Spurgeon, there's a beautiful quote from that book, Spurgeon Sorrows, from a sermon that he gave, I think, shortly after this incident where people died. I mean, it was something like, seriously, seven people died, 28 people were seriously injured. And then to add on top of that, he was actually in a season of life where he was 22 years old. He was just into his first 10th month of marriage, and he had just had twin children. And on top of all that, all the major newspapers in London were writing and accusing him of being at fault for. Wow. And it was all the result of a prankster. So it was it was serious. But one of the one of the quotes that comes from a sermon titled Smoking Flax, and it, it says this, perhaps you are not well or you have had an illness that has told much upon your nervous system and you are depressed. And therefore it is that you think that grace is leaving you, but it will not. Your spiritual life does not depend upon nature, else it might expire. It depends upon grace and grace will never cease to shine till it lights you into the light. Mm. 
That's a great quote. That is a beautiful word of even in the midst of what can feel like a totally forsaken moment, yeah. spiritually, socially, biologically, socially, we are not forgotten by the Lord. That's right. You see that even in the witness of Scripture, too, of the Lord who is with Job in the midst of his suffering. Yeah. Who eventually comes to relieve his people. That's right. And, you know, so, it's that old Puritan thing that your faith only need be as strong as a spider spindle. You know, like, mm. h- how weak is one thread of spider silk? Pretty thin, right? Pretty weak. Mm. Even even a baby can kind of push through that. Mm. And that's all the more strong your faith has to be. It just has to be genuine faith, barely holding on. Mm. We would all pray that our faith would be like the hardest steel. Yeah. Right? Unbendable and strong and can take anything but there are times when it feels very weak and very frail and very fragile, and it only need be just the wispiest hint of genuine faith, and it's still genuine faith, mm. and that's what matters. Amen. And that's the hope that we have in the gospel. Amen. Okay, so join us next episode. Next episode, we're going to look more specifically at Scripture, what Scripture says about depression and how we might be able to use Scripture in depression. Uh, And we hope that this episode and the future episodes, I think we're looking at maybe three to five somewhere in there, total episodes on this, will be helpful for you and those around you. If you have any questions, feel free to contact us. Again, it's either Jay Adair or Jay Squires at firstprezcolumbia.org. We're happy to hear from you. And until then, God bless.